Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Takeover where we bring our work friends to you. Today on the Work Friends Takeover, you're going to hear from two of our fan faves, Kimberly White and Bart Eisen. It's a fantastic and hilarious conversation. So play some farming simulator, go cross-country skiing, do whatever you need to do, and enjoy today's episode. Well, um, welcome again to the Work Friends Podcast. My name is Bart Eisen, and I've been on this podcast before. Uh, we're doing a guest series, and today I have joining me Kimberly White. Why don't you say hello, Kimberly? Hey, Bart. So uh, today we're actually going to talk about some of the experiences that Kim and I have had in Bible college. Um, before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about how we met. So what was your first impressions of me, Kimbo? Um, so we would you would have just turned 18 when we had first met. Uh, your birthday is, don't tell me, August 30th, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the first week of school would have been like the first week of September. I was still 17, not yet an adult. Um, but you were the first farmer I had ever met. And I remember being shocked. I grew up in a really urban area and realize now that maybe I was a bit um, oblivious to the world around me. But I remember you had told me something about like how you had dairy farm you were on a dairy farm and then did you have crops as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I was like you cash cropped we learned about that in history class and how the pilgrims cash cropped and I, my mind was like blown that people did those kind of things and you thought it was hilarious um and so then like a few weekends later you took me to a farm show in Woodstock to try to like help me learn more about the farming community um which you didn't tell me was $20. So like on the way there, you're like, oh, by the way. And, and so I ate so many apples and peanuts that day. Cause I was like, I need to get my $20 worth. And all these people had apples and peanuts in baskets. And so I was just like eating them to try to make up 20 bucks. Cause when you're a first year college student, 20 bucks is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a joint effort by, by me and Dan Musselman. Right? Yeah. You There's guys are going to. another guy in Bible college that was a dairy farmer and he wanted to show people what farming is about because I think people get the misconception that farming is like very rudimentary or, or uh, basic. But if you grow up in Listowel, you know that some of the most high tech industries are in agriculture and that a lot of farms in the area would have robots and stuff. So I think people from New York, which where is it, where Kim's from, would have this idea of a a farmer with a pitchfork and a straw hat. Southern New York. Northern New Yorkers probably know. They farm no, too. they would know, yeah. 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 No, and we went and we you had me go onto tractors, which were way more expensive than I could have wrapped my mind around. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I tell people, people are like, oh man, it must be so hard to be a pastor's wife. And I'm like, have you ever met a farmer's wife? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I'd rather be a pastor's wife than a <laughs> farmer's wife. Like, especially dairy farmers. I really think... Um, I won't get into the difference between a dairy farmer and a chicken farmer because I don't really know. I just hear the jokes between the two. <laughs> but you don't get vacation. You don't get time off. You don't no. get, like, you have to get up with the cows, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And um, It's got its pros and cons. Like, in, in our country, in Canada, as opposed to the States, there's some distinct advantages because of the quota system. Uh, there's definitely, people are maybe cash poor, but they have lots of equity. So there's a lot of flexibility with how they use their funds. So that's one of the advantages, but you're right. As a kid, we never got to go on vacations longer than a day trip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And farmers and farmers' wives are a lot more stylish than I imagined growing up as well. Oh, it depends which ones. The ones where I grew up with in Bruce County are not stylish at Okay. All. Do they wear the overalls? Because I've yet to see overall wearing farmers around here. Oh, no. Yeah. We wore overalls. With the, like the hay sticking out of their mouth. I don't know about that, but we definitely wore overalls. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my first impression of this farmer. And you were also... You were a, a diamond in the rough. You were in the rough part of your diamond phase. You were you were a bit. Uh, well, you compared women to dairy cows all the time. Oh, now I don't know about that. You even did a you even did a thing at the coffee house. You did farming one hundred and one or something, mm-hmm. and how it was like dairy far- cows are like women. You yeah. were you were a bit rough, Bart. Yeah, I did need some refinement. Yeah, you were so rough that the girls at Bible College started this thing called Hug a Bart Day, mm-hmm. where they would f- run up and hug you. Um, it wasn't my floor, it was another floor. They were a bit obsessed with you, and they just did it because it made you so awkward. Mm-hmm. 
because they wanted to help you because you grew up with all brothers. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely weird. I remember my first day of Bible college coming into the to the school and just a crowd of girls sitting in my room on the bed across from me and me being like, this is just nuts. Who what was did your I roommate? sign up for? I didn't have a roommate. They were just in your room waiting. Yeah. They just knew Bart Eisen was about to show well, up and change the Well, I think they helped move, the and then they all just sat, and they're like, hi, we're this group of people. And I was like, okay. Oh, because you were in Weidman, right? No. You no, were in Warder? Warder. Oh. In the basement. Yeah. And I remember like just being like, I looked at my parents, and I'm like, get me out of here, because I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> That's <for sure>. hilarious. <laughs> so what was your first impression of me, Bart? Right. So it's kind of the opposite. So Kim's from... Austin, New York, right? Mm. So that's like a suburb of New York City, yeah. which is very urban. And um, yeah, I I remember just thinking, what in the world? Why? <laughs> First question was, why in the world is a girl from New York here in Kitchener at this rinky-dink Bible college. That yeah. was the first thing I thought. I remember like rinky being dink. like... Rinky-dink. I'll pass it on to a man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll get into its beauty yeah, yeah. And, and whatnot, but it was definitely like... The facilities, at least, were underwhelming. I think you yeah, can agree. Yeah. And, I, and I remember being like, what is she doing here? Like, I couldn't believe it. And boy, the accent on you was thick as all get out. Man. Yeah. And you were young, too. You're right. You're like 17. Yeah. Talking about doing mission work and all these experiences, I remember. And I remember thinking, wow, she's done a lot in a short period of time. And then the next thing I remember is you, you could talk fast. Maybe it's the Bruce County drawl. It's slower out there. But I remember thinking, this girl talks fast. <laughs> like Steve Veer Sammy too, right? That yeah. guy, he talks so fast. And he's he's from Burlington. And I remember just being like, whoa. Because I think Bruce County is very, there's slowed down people. They're like the newfies of Ontario, right? So they're yeah. more relaxed. And I remember thinking, these people are like quick. And I'm like, it is weird to me that there's such a diversity of people here. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that was a while ago. Yeah. Well, what did that be, what, 11, um, 12 years ago? Yeah, about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so I watched lots of YouTube videos and learned how to get rid of the accent. You uh, Yeah, you actually intentionally worked on getting, the, get rid, getting yeah. rid of the New York accent. Yeah, because everyone um, would always ask me to repeat everything. Yeah, we just you thought know? it was funny. Where I would say, oh, do you guys want to go get a coffee at Timmy's? Yeah. And you guys were like, get a what? And I was like, a coffee. And they're like, get a what? And I was like, obviously, if I want a coffee, I'm tired. So can you stop asking me to say it? Yeah. So then there was this card that I found at Shoppers that was a um, Statue of Liberty birthday card. And when you pulled her chin, she said, like, this happy birthday wish in a very thick, stereotypical New York accent. And I hung it on my door. And I put up a note that said, if you want to hear a New York accent, talk to this card, leave me alone. No way. Really? I don't remember that. Yeah. And so it was on my front, it was on the dorm room of my door for a while. And then I would watch YouTube videos, especially when I started managing the cafe because I didn't want to call in and reorder coffee because I knew that it would throw off the people I was calling. So I was like, coffee until I figured it out. (laughs) Which is just, it's like, I don't know, most people... We celebrate, it, Canadians are supposed to be known to celebrate different cultures, right? Yeah. But it com- when it comes to some American culture, we can be pretty ruthless. Oh. I remember thinking, you know, yeah. like if I look in hindsight, I thought it was hilarious. I thought the accent was stinking <laughs> hilarious. But I think it was also because I'm just this short little thing and most yeah. people associated it with mafia movies or something. And yeah, I don't know why, but in my head, like if I'm thinking New York accent, I'm thinking like Dro- Joey Cherbiani from Friends. I'm not yeah. thinking little tiny Kimbo <laughs> from New York, right? So yeah. Yeah, no, I, I could see that that would have been tough. I think on the flip side, I think for me coming in, the farm stereotypes were interesting. So I, I found a quick friend in Dan Musselman. Right. Because I think a lot of people were like, I had also like a pretty beat up pickup truck. I don't you, know you had a that. horribly beat, <laughs> yeah. up, beat up pickup truck. Yeah. It was terrible. Well, and it's such a, a, a hick thing because I was thinking about this the other day. I rolled that truck and I got my neighbor to weld a new cab on it, which if you think about it for most people in the city, like if you oh, roll yeah. a vehicle, you're not going to weld a new cab on it and keep no. driving it. No. Um, you also wear a GenCore hat. Yes, GenCore. Which I wore for a while. And then one day you were like, let me tell you a little bit about this industry. Yeah, right. It's about artificial insemination in the dairy industry. Yeah, so far, <laughs> so. I mean, honestly, the stereotypes were just coming oh, through yeah. strong. Yeah, right. But I think there was this idea that, and I think we combated that a bit, this idea that farmers were not the brightest bulbs. Yeah. And I really was intentional about combating that kind of rhetoric, I think. Yeah, no one was going to go toe-to-toe, especially in church history with you, Bart. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember how I did in church history. I remember enjoying that class. Yeah. And people always dreaded it. It was a fun class. 
So Bart, what would you say God is teaching you in this season? Oh, yeah. I think, so I'm in a season right now where I'm in, it's public knowledge, so I can be honest about it, but I'm, I'm discerning a call to another job, um, a lead pastoring job. And uh, over the last number of months, I've been in, in conversations and praying and discerning about what the next step is for me. And that's not easy for me. I don't like change and I don't like waiting with unknowns or uncertainties. I like knowing what I'm going to do and moving. So what I've been learning is to enjoy the present as much as mm. I can. Um, which is not normal for me. My tendency is to think a million leagues ahead, like right. constantly. So I think that's typical of most leaders. They want to foresee what's coming and, and move towards it. So in the present, I think, really learning to enjoy the season I'm in. Mm-hmm. That coupled with the fact that we have a new baby mm-hmm. that doesn't like sleep. <laughs> um, learning to enjoy her as opposed to be really being really grudging about this season and wishing she was older. Right. I think those are two two areas of my life where God's really teaching me, hey, this is a unique pocket. It's a beautiful pocket. Try to enjoy it. Yeah. What about you? What's God teaching you right now? You know, I think a lot of what God has been teaching me is that um, that all of the, the things that are going to happen in my life, the transformation, um, even even the looking more like him, being more like him are all things that he is fulfilling through his power. Um, you know, I am a, someone who likes to be independent and do things on my own and accomplish things on my own. Um, and a part of my journey right now is that I'm, I'm pregnant and, and I have no power or control over, I mean, I do have some, right. I'm not going around like licking garbage cans and infecting my body and causing illnesses, right. I do have that. But outside of that, there's this child growing within me, um, that really, I can't do anything to ensure I can barely do anything to ensure that they come to full term, right? Like I really need to trust God and realize that it's through his power. Mm. Um, and even in that, it's been this weird thing where learning that I've only experienced God in like this, um, this specific way all my life and that one day it'll be totally different. And what I mean by that is, um, again, through my pregnancy, it's weird. And I bet all pregnant women have all their God moments attached to their pregnancy. But I say to my, my baby, I don't know if it's a boy or girl. I'm like, I know that you might think that this is all that exists. You in this liquid running around, pump pushing and kicking. And every once in a while, this like weird thing comes out near you and you can feel me and I can feel you. Like, I know that you think that this is what the world will be like and you'll be like this forever. But I promise you, there's so much more. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'll be more than just a voice one day. I'll be more than just this outside presence. And it reminds me that God says the same thing to me. Like right now I'm experiencing God in such... A, a, a unique way that's to this season of life, which mm-hmm. is, you know, life on this side of eternity, but that there's something greater. And if like my, if my child in my womb assumes that this is, I mean, I don't know how much assumptions they can make. I don't know how intelligent they are. If baby <laughs> genius movie is a the real cognitive, thing. Cognitive uh, abilities are pretty minimal. At this yeah. Point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they went through a whole psych course with me. Right. So, and they heard everything at that point. So they've <laughs> already taken psych 101. Your kid's coming out of genius. <laughs> yeah. Baby genius is a boss baby here. But yeah, but just this realization that this child only has known this experience for their life. And this experience won't even be like, I don't, I don't remember anything about the womb, right? Some people say they do. I don't know. Maybe they do. I'm not going to discredit them. But just this realization that the experiences that I have with God in the here and now aren't the full experiences that I one day will have with God, Mm -hmm. but that he is far greater uh, and beyond comprehension um, and that he's working and I can trust him because I'm just kind of like a kid in a womb, like, okay, God, I've experienced you in this way, but he's like, you just wait and see what I've got. Mm. So those pieces have been part of my learning journey lately. Yeah, it's incredible how much, you know, uh, children, parenting, well, and any experience in life, but particularly what I've noticed with kids, because that's the experience I have, is like how much you learn about the gospel with children. I mean, even so your story, right, with the baby being inside, but, you know, the love, the unconditional love a father has for a baby when they come out is super weird. I didn't get the luxury of bonding with it. It didn't live inside of me, but it's like the moment it's out there, you're like, there's no real reason I love this, should love this kid. This little wrinkly pink blob of skin, it's like, <laughs> that, that just came out of my wife. It's like, there's no logical reason I should love that kid. The kid's done nothing for me, right. you know, but 
it's instantaneous, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's super weird because it's like, you know, for a woman, they've bonded with the child because it's lived in them. For the yeah. guy, it's like, it's a little bit more out there. And it's, it, I remember being quite overwhelmed by that and thinking, yeah, that's kind of the love of the father, right? Like there's this unconditional love of the father that is, that is pretty beautiful. That's like, there's nothing that we can do or anyone can do to earn that love. It's just there. And my kid could do the most heinous things and I probably still love her. Love yeah. them both, right? Both kids. And I think that's pretty incredible. I think there's tons of illustrations in that. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing you learn in parenting, that, and I don't want to get on a huge diatribe. I could because I could rant about it. But the other thing you learn is how selfish you truly are when you have kids. Oh, oh my, my goodness. <laughs> I've already learned that in the sense that I'm like, come on, I just want to have a good yeah. like, good meal and not feel nauseous afterwards. Or just get or... like a full night's sleep without being uncomfortable. Or yeah. 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 No, that's one thing that I'm always checking in with God about. I'm like, it is only through your spirit that I will have patience to be a good mom because I am selfish and Mm -hmm. I am self-centered and I have things I want. And this child is going to be selfish and self-centered, but they have, they have no ability to care for themselves. So they have to be, they need to demand everything from me. Mm -hmm. I, on the other hand, don't need to demand anything of anyone else because I am capable outside of God, but I can get my own drink. I can go to the bathroom myself, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah. Yeah. But this isn't a podcast about parenting today. We're gonna no. look at we're gonna look at Bible college and, and some of the experiences there and some of the ways we grew and learned from that. So take like a uh, like a kind of helicopter view, Kimbo, of, of your Bible college experience. What would you say was kind of your experience at EBC? We went to Emmanuel in Kitchener, just to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It was um it was a time of really being invested in and people acknowledging and seeing gifts in me and calling them out. Um, it was a time of um, definitely refining when you live on campus, especially, and you're living with other people, you learn your own, you're having a mirror held up to you all the time that kind of reflects back your flaws or your weaknesses, your areas of potential growth. Um And it was the first time that I'd ever really applied myself in school Mm. because when I went through, um, you know, public school and high school and all of those things, I didn't really ever think I was an educated or smart person. I never really thrived in school, so I never tried. Mm. Um, I didn't do badly, but I never applied myself and thought, what would it look like if I challenged myself? And at a manual, it was the first time that I thought, you know what, I can push myself and I can try to accomplish things. And it wasn't just that um, academically, but it was new experiences of of leading, of connecting with people, of having learning hard conversations. Um, It was, yeah, it was really a transformational time Mm. of of growth and and being poured into while I also learned what it meant to pour out unto others. Mm. Yeah, I think I would share a lot of similar sentiments. I mean, actually, you know, identical story. I mean... High school and elementary school, never applied myself. I remember in high school, I never took homework home for like the longest time. I just didn't care. I really didn't. Mm-hmm. It was like if I, if I passed and did well enough to get into a school when I was done, that's good enough for me. I was never the type that was like, man, I really want to do well or get good grades. I could care less. And it did carry over into Bible college. I got decent grades my first year, but I remember my first year being pretty flippant about the whole educational experience having this immature idea that I just needed a piece of paper to say I could do the job of youth pastor and that's it. But I think as time went on, I started to be more serious about what I was learning and more intentional about it as mm-hmm. well. But I think Bible college for me was this beautiful symphony of of academic, um, you know, learning and curiosity coupled with this practical, experiential, learning who you are in community, learning who you are in spite of community and learning how to live out you know, a, um, a Christ-like, mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a Christ-like way, because uh, you're constantly held to account. You're accountable to the people around you who are mm-hmm. all learning about God, learning about the Bible, who are, who are learning what it means to live like Jesus wants you to live. And they're kind of all holding you in tension. I, I know, I remember you and, you know, other people like Matt, who other friends that we had who would constantly be like, hey, you know, you did this. I don't know how that lines up with scripture, right? We kind of we kind of pushed each other mm-hmm. to godliness, and we even pushed each other academically, like verbally. We would process different doctrines we were reading about or learning about too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That reminds me of a time that Matt Hool and I stood outside until like two in the morning in the middle of a blizzard talking about 
Um, Wasn't it Calvinism and Arminianism, some of those doctrines, eternal security? Yeah, and, it was really about eternal security and what it meant to be saved. And and only in bio college would you do that. And I recall going back up to my dorm room, and it took about two hours for my body temperature to begin to warm up. I went under blankets and I was just radiating cold. And I don't think we got anywhere. It was a blizzard. It really was a blizzard. And it was like minus 10 or 15 out. And we're just, yeah, I don't, those were definitely Bible college experiences. Mm. And and in that, not in that situation, but there were also things where I had to learn what it meant to feel convicted by God in certain areas that were God convicting me, but wasn't God calling others to be convicted as well, mm. right? Because there were people that are following Jesus and love Jesus and are seeking to live like him, but don't feel the same sort of convictions or feel that they're called to live in the same exact way that I feel God's called me to live. And... And, you know, I mean, a little bit like the prodigal son where he's like, well, it's not fair. Like they do all these things. There were times where I was like, well, God, why do I have such strong convictions in this area? And why don't other people and why are they okay with living like that? And why don't I feel okay? And what's going on here? And really learning that um, a, a term that I've learned since then is is this low control, high accountability piece that Carter and I use a lot when we're, we're discipling people in the sense of, I can't tell other people what God's saying to them, but I can hold them accountable to what they believe God's saying to them. Mm -hmm. And this realization that there were times where God was trying to teach me things and work in my heart. Mm -hmm. And I would look to other people and go, well, what about them, God? And what about them, God? And what about them, God? And what about them? And God was like, you're missing it, Kimberly. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do a work in you. Worry about you and I. Mm -hmm. And I am doing things in their life that I'm not doing in your life. There are things that they're being called into that I'm not calling you into. Um, and which is such like a, a like a little kid, like, well, that's not fair. Like, why'd they get two and I only got one? Mm-hmm. Um, but God really had to teach me through that, that the journey of following him looks different for people who are still all following him. And that I need to remember that he has a specific journey for me. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone was called into doing missions work. Not everyone was called, or, I mean, overseas. Not everyone was called to live in the same ways. Um, that I was living. And and, I mean, there were some people on campus who had some really strict things that I, you know, no movies or things like that. And I was like, you know what? The Lord is not calling me to that, even though Netflix (laughs) was not a thing then. Oh, Mm. thank goodness. Netflix was not a thing when I was in college. I don't know if we'd have graduated if Netflix was a thing in college. Yeah. And so I learned also what it meant to live in community with other Christians whose faith journey looks different than mine, Mm. but not thinking that it meant that they were doing it wrong and I was doing it right, but that God is an individual God and he's working in people and unique ways. And there were times when I could have conversations with people and kind of ask them and be curious about, you know, what do you think that looks like and what's God speaking into your life in this time? And there were times that I botched it and I went to them and I was like, I don't think you're doing what God wants you to do. And they were furious. Um, And I burnt bridges and learned that maybe there's a different way of living in Christian community and that I don't have it all figured out, which was frustrating, but, Mm. you know, really um, frustrating for me to have to realize, oh my goodness, I've been doing this wrong for a while, Mm. humbling. Um, And then, you know, and then there were times when I would make decisions or make mistakes that I was mortified and thought I didn't even know I was capable of doing this kind of thing. Um, And so it was, a yeah, really just this humbling, refining time that helped me begin the journey of learning what it meant to allow God to work in my life and permit him to work in others in different ways and honoring that mm-hmm. journey. I think there's, there's, you're stumbling on something that, you know, I would say one of the most powerful things about Emmanuel in particular, like there's lots of seminaries and colleges out there and there's lots of, you know, great academic institutions. What I always undervalued when I was there, but now think it was incredible, is the community environment, living on dorm, which we both did, I think for all four years, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, was so good for practically preparing you for ministry, like yeah. both as an individual, but then we were both RAs as well. There was this this preparation for ministry that happened in community. You learned how not to call people out on sin, right? You you learned that there's a way to do that well and that that needs to be done in the context of relationship. You learned that like, you know, people are called to different things and have different convictions about things and you need to have grace for different perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. And you learned that there was space to 
to verbally process different perspectives and to get an understanding of different people. Because boy, did the Lord call some crazy people to those, that school, right? Some different people. Yeah. And the, the ethos of that place was like, you love everybody, no yeah. matter how different they are, which is incredible. Because if we look, if I look at most other institutions or places that I've been a part of, there's always like a certain level of like, well, this is the, the in crowd and this is the outs. Whereas I felt like in Emmanuel, it was like, there's probably a bit of that. I'm sure there are people that would characterize it that way. But it was like there was this genuine effort to understand different people. I think because it was such a small community, mm-hmm. it was like these are the people that we're surrounded by. And so learning to, yeah, learning to embrace and love and live amongst whoever God had brought around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I mean, I'm, I'm sure people had to have a lot of patience learning to live around me and with me. Mm-hmm. Um especially when my accent was thick or when I, you know, was overly bubbly and outgoing and loud um, or stubborn. But yeah, just those those pieces of learning what it looks like to walk out grace and compassion mm-hmm. amongst others um, was really formational for me and helped me prepare for ministry Um And then in addition to that, academically, Mm. I was, you know, I don't think, I don't think I ever would have imagined I could have written so many papers in my life. It was incredible, wasn't it? (laughs) Like, I remember, you know, we both done master's level work post undergrad. And I I can genuinely say that we wrote way more papers in the undergrad. Like, it was incredible how much work they made us do when we were there. Yeah. I I don't know that the the requirements for the marking was as strenuous. No. But I do remember thinking, this is a ton of work. We were writing constantly. Yeah. And I think sometimes the term college throws people off. Oh, yeah. I mean, now I'm a professor there, right? And so Mm -hmm. I, I teach... And I think some of the students think that it's going to be this really easy, mm-hmm. like you're going to blow through it. And then they submit their first paper. And I have all of these recommendations on how they can do different ways or, you know, formatting all of these things, APA or Chicago or whatever. And and I think quickly within your first year, mm-hmm. you realize I can't just not try. Um, it's when I, that's where I learned deadlines where, you know, I would always make my deadlines a week before they were actually due because if I procrastinated at all, I would know that I wouldn't be able to get anything done because it would just pile up too much and I wouldn't be able to accomplish things. And, Mm. you know, writing a paper with eight to 10 sources or, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I need to read eight to 10 sources then, or Mm. or not eight to 10, maybe eight to 10 pages with four or five sources. But, and it, so it pushed me out of my comfort zone and taught me how to critically think through things because I often had to think through and, and like just dive into topics that I wouldn't have ever thought to dive into on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I look back on some of those papers and I'm like, whoa, I didn't even remember, like, I don't remember even writing on this and not only writing, researching for it, but there's so many things that, um, I had to study that I never would have done on my own, mm. um, that prepared me for learning how to study now. So when someone comes to me and they're like, Hey, this is something I'm struggling with. I know how to research. I know how to look into it. I know how mm-hmm. to find um, valuable, um, you know, academic sources or trustworthy sources. I'm not just going to Wikipedia answers mm-hmm. and then go back to people who are struggling with things. And that's important because critical thinking in today's age, I mean, you know, I can't just go off of every Facebook article. I, I know it sounds crazy, but <laughs> I can't just see a Facebook article and go, okay, that must be the that must be reality. Mm. I've learned how to kind of in research, we call it triangulate, look at multiple sources and then look at that one, you know, thesis or one point of view and then take all of them into context and say, okay, well, what's really going on at play here and what's, yeah. And so that was super helpful for me as I, as I learned to journey with others and I'm still learning and growing in my own faith. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, you know, if we think about how that's, some of the ways that it's prepared us. I so when I was in Bible college, my first year was was not rigorous. I'm I I had the blessing of growing up in a Christian elementary school, and then I had pretty strong catechesis in my church until I was until that church closed. So I remember thinking my first year, like, what is this? Like this, a lot of this seemed like review. Uh, my first year, I really felt like it was review. But as I got into it, 
what I think opened my eyes is, hey, there's actually, and this is the beauty of Emmanuel, given that it was multi-denominational, it was like, whoa, there's actually different opinions on this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like I've been catechized and trained in two schools of thought, the Pentecostals and the, and the Reformed churches. And so those were good. They were broad, broad enough. But I remember thinking, okay, there's actually a variety of views on a variety of subjects. And I remember my second, third, and fourth year really diving into the different nuance that was there, right? But I do think the the thing with a place like Emmanuel is it was an undergrad. So you got a bachelor's degree in theology, which is useless to pretty much anybody else besides people who are in ministry. Yeah. Um, and probably but more accepted in the States because it's more of a Christian nation than it is in Canada. But I remember, <clears throat> remember yeah, yeah, I think being surprised by some of the the academic um, framework, right? Like, you're right, like, you know, citing papers appropriately and the, the way sources needed to be used yeah. and the, the the amount of reading that was required. I remember being like, okay, this is, we're not messing around. Like, this isn't just fun and games. It was, it was definitely, like, academic. And I, I remember really loving that. Like, I think, which surprised the crap out of me. I remember you, you said this too, right? Like, high school and everything else, you're just kind of skating through. But I remember being like, I actually really like Mm-hmm. learning a lot of this stuff. And that was a game changer for me. I actually started to apply myself second, third, and fourth year because like, I really wanted to learn stuff. And that's the thing with most institutions. But I think what was unique about Emmanuel is if you wanted, you could pander to every professor and kind of skate through uh, yeah. just giving them what you think they thought they wanted to hear. But you also had the option of really testing things out. You had mm-hmm. the freedom to really educate. And I think the problem is there was some that probably didn't have the maturity to know that. And I didn't my first year. It took me a while to like get the maturity to say, you know what? If I want to be an effective pastor, I kind of need to know what I believe, one, and I need to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I can't just skate through this because I'm, then I'm not equipped for the work that God's calling me to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you kind of stumbled on this too, but I think the other part of this, the time in Bible College for Learning was the need to know how to articulate yourself, you know, how to like speak and write and share information because Mm -hmm. the truth was if I did a paper and even if my study was rich and my content was rich, if I couldn't communicate it in ways that the professor understood or the general populace understood, it was useless and you'd get terrible grades. Like the need to have a good understanding of language, Mm -hmm. the need to have a good understanding of, of how to build argumentation it's crucial. Yeah. And it, and I think there's definitely applications to ministry. Yeah. Like if you're preaching and teaching, whether it's youth or lead, your 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 job is to take what's, you know, how do I state this? You know, old from the first century to take concepts that are biblical in a different time, in a different era, and mm-hmm. make them something that people today can understand and apply. Yeah. So you really need to, to know how to digest information. Mm-hmm. And how to share information. And I think part of the beauty of Emmanuel, and probably the reason they made us write so many stinking papers, was because it was more about trying to communicate what you've learned. Yep. Because I remember thinking, why do we need to write papers about this? Wouldn't an exam or a test make a lot more sense mm-hmm. to kind of test knowledge? And they did that too. But I think writing the paper forced you to share information, which is the job of most people that went to UBC. You you, you kind of ended up in four streams, right? You're their missionary, mm-hmm. a youth pastor, a lead pastor, or a counselor. Those are kind of the main ones. Now there's like yep. worship and some other ministry roles, but it was like those are the kind of the main pushes. And all of those ministry streams require you to share information mm-hmm. from a, through, through a biblical lens, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think academically it was good that way. But I think you and I would both, and we've kind of hinted at this, Another way that that, it, that Emmanuel really prepared us for ministry is relationally. Yeah, those interpersonal those interpersonal skills and building competencies, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I've I've seen it happen where people can be really book smart mm-hmm. and they can be top of the class, A plus, you know, phenomenal, uh, phenomenal students. Mm-hmm. But if they don't know how to engage and how to connect with people, their relational skills are are weak then when they enter into ministry, it's a struggle because Mm -hmm. it's not just about information giving, it's about disciple making. And, and, um, you know, there's this difference between delivering information and developing followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think at Emmanuel, and and I mean, and I know that this is something that I've really worked on since being there, Mm -hmm. is trying to navigate the competencies of what does a competent pastor, what is a competent counselor, what is a competent intercultural worker 
what personal interpersonal skills do they have mm. and how do I begin to foster environments where those are um, are really worked through and so courses like our group dynamic course that we would have taken and had to work with other people and learning how to engage um, being on teams whether it's student council or as mm. an, a resident advisor all of those things forced us to learn interpersonal group skills that um, I don't know if we realized how pivotal they were going to be when we entered into ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those pieces were, yeah, were just crucial to the journey. And a lot of the things I think we do, we were like, well, why do I need to do this? Or what's the point of this? Or why do I need to, you know, speak in chapel or lead this thing? Or mm-hmm. and, and then when you get into ministry, you're like, oh, okay, this makes sense. These are some of those pieces that really... Um, paved the way for me to be able to, to do this. And even with the papers, I mean, when I, yeah, when I did my master's, I think I was well prepared beyond lots of students who did psych undergrads Mm -hmm. because they had talked about how in university in their psych undergrad, it was mostly just exams Mm -hmm. and they had to just regurgitate the information that they had learned Mm -hmm. where we weren't just regurgitating information. We actually had to process it and then interact with it. If we just regurgitated, the prof would write at the end of the paper, where are your own thoughts? These are just a bunch of quotes and a bunch of things that other people wrote, but what are your own thoughts? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and we how do you given, defend them? So yeah. you can't just have your own thoughts. They needed to be defended yeah. academically too. Yeah, or you get a paper back and it was like, well, these are really great points, but there's nothing that you've used to give any like proof to your arguments. You mm-hmm. haven't strengthened your argument. You haven't defended it at all. It's just hearsay and that's mm-hmm. great like stand on a soapbox and preach all you want but mm-hmm. you need something to back it up and so yeah so those pieces uh once I got to my master's I was I was so ready to mm-hmm. do all of those things because in my master's none of it was regurgitating it was now take it and come up with your own perspectives and you know um create new arguments and engage with this in a new way and um and I was ready. I was able to to be creative and to really um, engage with what we were learning and and applying it. And um, yeah, and, and that was helpful. That Emmanuel, I mean, yeah, my experience there and the professors that cared, that were willing to be honest and tell me mm-hmm. when I wasn't doing that well, and and that would also check in on me when they thought, you know, what you seem a bit down and you're seeming a bit like you're struggling. What's going on? Um, it was a safe environment for us to learn and to grow mm. so that we could, you know, spread our wings and fly off into <laughs> ministry. And then friendships, mm-hmm. right? Some of my best friends are still Emmanuel friends, mm-hmm. right? Um, I have like a group chat with th- three of the girls that we went to school with and we mm-hmm. chat on Facebook Messenger often and get together with our spouses and their kids and um, really have loved the opportunity to watch others as they've soared in ministry, um, keeping in touch with people, learning from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think that I'm a classic Emmanuel story in that I met my husband at Emmanuel. <laughs> um, Bridal college. <laughs> but I, I started dating him after I had graduated and I had finished my four years. I wasn't like a MRS seeker. I got my bachelor's of theology, graduated, and then almost like six months after graduation started dating my husband, my now husband. So I feel like I like sort of skirted around it, but still met him at Bible college, which I'm okay with. It's a good place Um, to meet people. Yeah. But I mean, again, lifelong friendship. He's my lifelong best friend. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. I, so to back up a little bit for me, like I would say in ministry, I think the 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 culture of of Emmanuel, the people in Emmanuel, really taught interpersonal skills, really taught the ability to interact with people way more than my my seminary experience. And I would say if you know, and I don't, we don't want this to be a commercial for Emmanuel, but to say that you know, if you're going to go to an academic institution and prepare for any career. Mm-hmm recognize that most careers have two components. There's the understanding the intellectual parts of the of the job. Even engineers have to deal with people, right? And yeah. so you got to know your stuff, but you got to also learn how to, to mature emotionally mm-hmm. and engage with people correctly, right? Any academic pursuit requires that. You can't avoid people if you live on this earth very easily. And if you do, you're not you're probably not working in 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 certain types of jobs, but I think it's crucial in your in your undergrad in particular, one, to learn how to learn, 
to learn yeah. how to study, to learn how to, to engage information, both to, to learn how to regurgitate that information, sure, but also how to articulate yourself and defend your positions. And then also to learn how to engage with people and interact with people. And what was the beautiful about Emmanuel? And, and you know, I used to be, be begrudging about the fact that I live so far away from it. Like I grew up at King Carden, right? Which is about almost two hours from, from Kitchener. Mm-hmm. And I told myself, why do I have to move to another city and go to school? I would much rather be a commuter like we had, right? Yeah. But, but even the commuters would say there was some beauty about dorm life because it taught you interpersonal skills. Yeah. And there's a need for, for both, you know, for anybody who's playing to, to serve in some capacity. In the kingdom of heaven in particular, you need to have relational abilities. And yeah. so, so I think that was beautiful. And I think, you know, you know, moving into what you said about preparing you for your master's, um, your master's is really, you know, trying to defend a position, trying to... to it's nuanced learning. I would say Emmanuel really prepared me for ministry better than my master's did, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I had a great master's at Mac. It was a great school. I did my MDiv there. It was good. It was rigorous. I I was pushed there for sure on some levels, but I do think as far as holistic learning goes, as someone who's been on dorm, Emmanuel really refined me and prepared me well for mm-hmm. my master's. Master's was like, hmm, I get to be a little nerdy and nuanced about what I'm learning, but the framework and the building blocks were there. And your experience was similar but there were people at Mac that had no understanding of theology and, and Bible because you could get into the master's with any undergrad. Right. right. And I remember being like, yeah, I have the advantage of getting to dabble into the things I wanted to learn about and to, to explore nuance mm-hmm. because I had already done the framework at EBC and it was great. And I think, I think with education, um, y- you eventually get to a point, you know, the high school mindset is I got to do this. I got to get through this. You know, I just need to do it. I don't care about it that much. The university mindset needs to shift to how is this practically going to enable me Mm -hmm. to do what I'm called to do? Definitely. And I think what was beautiful about my undergrad is I started to learn that. I learned it slower than you. (laughs) Typical men don't mature as quickly. But I, I, in the master's, it was good because, because I had the framework. They even said I didn't have to take certain courses there. I was able to very, be very intentional about what I was trying to learn hmm. and what I was experiencing in ministry. And for me, I did my master's over a seven-year span, basically half time right. while in full-time ministry. And th- the beauty of that was if I had something going on in ministry that I needed to, to explore academically, I got to do it, do it together in conjunction with each other. Yeah, There was some real good in that. So it definitely prepared me for that. What would you say, just to wrap this up, what was your favorite part of your schooling in general? Oh, man, there were so many good memories. Like, looking back, the friends that we made, we used to go to Krabby Joe's on Tuesdays after soccer and, mm. and have half-price apps, um, the coffee houses, and mm. um, all of those pieces. I really loved them. Um, I think the friendships and the community really were the best. I, I mean, and I loved, the, I loved studying and I, I loved academics, but really the... The community of people who I now get to journey with even after school has ended. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember professors being like, these people will probably be the friends you have for the rest of your life? And you'd be like, okay, I think about the people I was friends with in high school. And I'm like, I barely talk to them. You're like, whatever. But it's kind of true, right? Yeah. Yeah. You still like, I have the same. I have a group chat of guys from Bible college. You and I still work in the same time and hang out, right? Like there's, there's definitely still you know, relationships there. And for me, I'm thinking about that and I'm like, there was a season of life where ministry was just so crazy busy and seminary was so crazy busy that I neglected a lot of my Emmanuel friendships and they didn't go away. No. They were like too persistent. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they stuck around, which is really just beautiful and, and talks to the depth of relationship that was there despite my own selfishness and, and uh, workaholic tendencies. There's still people that stick around, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, again, and I, and I recommend... Yeah, learning to learn was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that professors came from different points of views. Um, I remember I had one class that was brutal. Mm. I did not agree with anything the professor said. Like he was like he was more Calvin than Calvin himself. Um, and I really wrestled with a Sounds lot of awesome. the things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, there were some things that I was like, this doesn't sound like the God I know. Mm. But again, I was in a safe community. I could process it with people. And then when I went on to my master's, which was from a theological perspective, that was 100% different than the one that I had grown up with and basically told me that my perspective of who Christ was and who my, what my faith was, was wrong. Um, 
I wasn't shaken because I had learned what it meant to realize that just because someone's educated and a professor, mm. it doesn't mean that they know everything mm. and that if you're not agreeing with them. And so learning how to own my own understanding of who God is and then engage with that and wrestle with the unknown and the uncomfortable, mm. that was huge as well. And I, and I still learn how to do that when I encounter people whose perspective of who God is is vastly different than mine. I don't have to run away or shut them down and say, that's not who God is. You don't know. You're, you must not be a Christian, heathen, burn them at the stakes. Um, I can say, okay, what's going on here? How do I dig in? How do I listen and hear from you and learn from you and also keep my ear to the Holy Spirit and learn and listen and and engage with God and come out knowing God even deeper? Um, and so I've learned not to be afraid of differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, and like I said, we don't, we don't want this this podcast to come across as a commercial, but I would say that in, in learning and, and in academics and in school, you know, people always ask me, well, is it worth it going to school if I can learn everything on YouTube or if I can read mm. a few books or if I can, if I can just, and it's true. Like if you went to, to schools, you know that they assign books and they make you read stuff and they make you do stuff. And you're like, well, I could do this myself without somebody telling me to do it. But I guarantee you, you wouldn't do as many papers. No. <laughs> and I guarantee you, if you're learning yourself, even if you're really disciplined, you're going to learn the stuff you want to learn. Yeah. You're not going to be given books. You're like, well, this looks like something I don't like or forced to learn perspectives that you don't resonate with. Yeah. You you are going to get all sorts of information. And has for someone who's literally studied, you know, a very narrow field of study, theology, for seven years, I can tell you that there's no limit to it. Yeah. Right? And, it, you know, having done the, the undergrad and the master's is not a crazy feat at all when you think of the scope of what you can learn in that field of study, like it's endless. And what it does is it creates in you this humility about diverse Mm -hmm. views, but at the same time, it cautions you against like an apathy. Cause some people will say, well, you know, theologians and people, they've studied this for ages, right? And there's no answers on everybody debates about it and they, and and they're right. And that is a virtuous thing to do. There's gotta be humility when it Mm -hmm. comes to that kind of stuff, but not, as an excuse not to explore these things, right? Yeah. You know how many Christians are like, wow, they've debated about these theological issues for centuries and there's no answer, so we just need to live in that ambiguity. Yes, but that doesn't preclude you from exploring. Mm-hmm. And I can say with certainty that my academic pursuits have strengthened my faith, that there is yeah. a intellectual component to Christianity. Now, that's highly subjective to the person, but there's something rewarding and fulfilling and nurturing in faith when you get to explore a variety of different views of mm-hmm. God. You see the scope of who God is. Yes. And you you get the, get to understand fellow Christians better. I think one of the reasons, particularly in Listowel, that we work so well with other churches is even though we have totally different theological beliefs, and one of the beauties of it was at Emmanuel, I know what the missionary church down the road thinks. You guys, mm-hmm. I know what the Pentecostals think. I know what the Lutherans think. I know what the Baptists think. And I can say, okay, well, well these are the common threads we can operate yeah. with and appreciate where the other ones are coming from because of the respect for ambiguity. The problem is if you just say that things are ambiguous mm-hmm. and you don't explore it, you just, you're left in this, this uh, unstable, um, you know, vague state, foggy place without a deep appreciation or understanding of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. You just know that there's different perspectives, right? And I think whatever the academic pursuit is, what it what most academic pursuits do is encourage a humility yeah. and enough knowledge to know that there are respectable and defensible positions on a variety of subjects. Yes. Right? As long as you do it right. It can yes. it can foster um arrogance, but if it's in a good space, in a healthy community that'll hold you accountable, Mm -hmm. then you learn how to be humble and walk humbly and hold your views in in a way that you realize if I could fully figure out who God was and who God is, then he's probably not as powerful as big as you think. think. And so the unknowns and the ambiguity and all of those things are just part of the complex understanding and the nature of a God who is far beyond our comprehension, mm-hmm. which just draws you into a place where you love him even more. Yeah. I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to parse out the idea that there's a difference between willful ignorance yeah. and uh, an informed humility. Yep. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And just because, yeah. And just because someone gets educated doesn't mean that they'll encounter that humility. I mm-hmm. think we were guided into it. I think 
you forced me into humility multiple times. And I, you know, I, you and I had conversations and a lot of people around us where we realized this person loves Jesus and Mm -hmm. they have a view that's different than the view I have, Mm -hmm. but it's not because they don't love Jesus. It's because there's space for differences. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where humility became real. And we were like, okay, how do I honor the person and understand them while also honoring that? Mm -hmm they're still following Jesus and they're on their journey with Jesus and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And I get to watch. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think that was what was so great about Emmanuel compared to my seminary experience was like every, every institution has a sandbox of understanding. Mm-hmm. And with Emmanuel, it was a pretty big sandbox. There was like, you needed to believe the basic core truths of faith, but you got to explore different theological beliefs within the kind of, uh, evangelical sandbox. Yeah. And that's a pretty big sandbox. Like yeah. you got Calvinists, you've got Arminians, you've got all sorts of people in that space, right? Yeah. But it created a framework to say, well, what is what what do we believe about scripture and how to read it? Mm-hmm. You know, is it inerrant? Is it infallible? Those kind of things. And in that sandbox you can play. And I think that was really healthy because I I know some people in my seminary journey didn't have the sandbox. Mm-hmm. You know, it was blown, the sides were blown. And it was good, humil- uh, humble exercise, but it, it left them untethered to the cross of Christ. It left mm-hmm. them untethered to who Jesus is. It left them feeling like there is no certainty in, in God and that there's no objective truth, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that is deeply dangerous to live in that space mm-hmm. um, because it gives people permission not to explore truth or to seek out truth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that could be a topic for a whole other podca- podcast. Yes, we probably talked too long at this yeah. point. But. I don't know who decided that Bart and I should be on the same <laughs> podcast because we're both talkers. Yeah. But if Emmanuel had a motto or a song, an alma mater, it would be a good time to sing it, but it doesn't, so we won't <laughs> sing. <laughs> um, I would, I'm going to wrap up this podcast by saying, you know, we've talked a lot about our experiences at, at EBC and it's been great to share our journeys together. Um, but yeah, there's a few themes that we would really encourage our listeners to think about with regards to how to approach education and how to uh, embrace uh, a spirit of humility uh, instead of willful uh, ignorance and informed humility instead of willful ignorance. And um, we hope that you continue to enjoy Work Friends podcast. They are awesome. They're some of our favorites, right, Kimbo? Oh, yeah. We love uh, love listening to them, and we hope that this encourages you in your walk with Jesus as well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up that you will not want to miss. So make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are on so you never miss a Monday episode. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us at Just Work Friends. And um, yeah, that's that's all, folks. That's all for now. Have a great week. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 